Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. Colter Nuanas, as always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Make it a little easier for you. Now, in uh, late in the week, you're going to get an analysis podcast and you're going to get an interviews podcast separately. So on this podcast, straightforward. Myself and Brooks Nuanas wrapping all things Big Sky football. Myself and Ty Gregorak wrapping all things Big Sky football. Myself and Andrew Houghton wrapping all things Big Sky football. The Big Sky Breakdown is presented by Alpine Touch as well as Blackfoot Communications. Please enjoy this week's Big Sky Breakdown as Montana prepares to host Dixie State, Montana State prepares to host Cal Poly, and a variety of other games around the Big Sky Conference. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. A little bit here on the Big Sky Breakdown. In the last several weeks, we've been uh, just giving you one big two-hour-plus two Big Sky Breakdown, complete with analysis from Brooks Nuanez, Ty Gregorak, and sometimes Andrew Houghton as well, as well as some interviews from throughout the week, both uh, Big Sky Breakdown-specific as well as for Nuanez Now, my daily radio show on 102.9 FM ESPN Missoula, as well as SWX Montana Television. But uh, in a, in uh, the name of being concise and helping you, the awesome consumer, consume the content we're gonna simplify this for you on your end a little bit and we're just gonna have an analysis based podcast each week with hits from brooks and andrew and ty and then we'll have another podcast with the interviews and some of the best of the week as well. So appreciate Blackfoot Communications and Alpine Touch for all their support of our podcasting endeavors. Brooks, we have some funny stuff to talk about and uh, some football analysis to talk about. But first and foremost, we're recording this here on a Wednesday morning. And it is October 6th, which is the birthday of our late father. And uh, I know that you and I both come together and healed a great deal working together while doing this together. And I know we think of our dad every day. So a happy birthday, Chucky. Our dad uh, was awesome guy man we miss him a lot yes certainly a somber but positive day right Uh, good time to reflect awesome he motivates us every day so just had to mention that let's talk about a little uh, levity in our lives (laughs) we shouldn't actually be making fun of this because this actually is sort of a serious situation but montana state hosted northern colorado last week max mccaffrey the offensive coordinator he lost it a little bit uh, lost his temper uh bobcat fans are 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 pretty loud and and uh, passionate and basically the story that i've heard is that mccaffrey lost a little bit broke his clipboard through the clipboard into the stands and uh man <laughs> that's that's not the funny part though i guess the thing that triggered him was the fan was allegedly talking about how tight and non-fitting the mccaffrey's pants were so uh, i guess it never cool for a coach to throw anything into the stands at unsuspecting spectators but um this is getting a lot of traction and a lot of heat on on social media and it is it's hard to not kind of laugh at this yeah man i mean it makes me think of all the famous people that get into these positions you know i mean if 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 this happened at I don't know, East Tennessee State to some guy that played at Hampton and never coached anywhere else. I mean, it probably wouldn't be a story. It's Ed McCaffrey. You know, it's Ed McCaffrey's son. It's it, There's light on the program. Um, you see Eddie George coaching the FCS, Deion Sanders coaching the FCS. You look at Urban Meyer in the NFL. I mean, it's just there is a bigger spotlight on these kind of, um, you know, prominent individuals. So I during the game, you you had, you alerted me to it. I walked by at halftime and I saw a police officer in the stands about to fourth throw up, talking to someone with a pad of paper, and I was like, "What is going on here?" 
I wonder if someone got in a fight. I wonder if there was like some drunk belligerent person that, you know, what happened here? And then about 10 minutes later, you texted me kind of the scenario and and I kind of started to, I, you know, I'm not a gossip spreader, but I kind of started to show people the text that you had sent me, whether it be a Montana state person or, a, you know, some other photographer. Thank God that we, the sidelines were howling. It was just so funny. Um, but, you know, on Twitter, they've been looking for who has photos of the, how tight this guy's pants really were to make him freak out like this. I, unfortunately, never really actually identified Max McCaffrey. He kind of was stuck in like, he hung back a lot. Like, there was no, he was not out in front like the defense coordinator was. Him and Ed were both kind of in the background. Um, so it was very interesting to kind of watch. I had my eyes glued on Ed McCaffrey a lot. Um, as you could imagine, hoping to see, pick up some coaching tendencies, some personality characteristics. None of that really came through. He's pretty nonchalant, uh, never got fired up, gave a lot of fist bumps, never really seemed to be um, too sad about the the beating that they were taking. But uh, I never saw the Max. I never saw his pants. Uh, I did see the clipboard in some fame or fashion. And hopefully it doesn't get too big because it's not necessarily the most positive. I think that the number one takeaway I have from this is what you just said. It's not the actual specifics of this situation. And I'm not trying to imply that I know what any of these guys think when they take their jobs. But if there is a perception that if you play in the NFL, you play at the highest level, you are an awesome player. You can walk into an FCS school and just turn it around because of who you are. I think you got another thing coming. And again, I'm not implying that that's what Ed McCaffrey or Deion Sanders or Eddie George and these guys think. I just find it quite hilarious that these guys take FCS jobs and then get their asses kicked. I think it's 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 a testament to how good the level is, right? Like you, This is not like some low level of football. You have to be able to come in and have a great program. And I think that there's all these different factors. Like, maybe you didn't expect it to be as raucous as it is in Bozeman. Well, guess what? You're playing a game on the road in Montana, in Bozeman or Missoula. It's a real deal atmosphere. And these are real deal football teams. So, I think it's just a great affirmation for just how tough it is to win in the FCS. Yeah, and it's also, it's not, I mean, everyone calls it FCS now. You know, it's 1AA. It's Division One football. You know, I say on this podcast all the time, these dudes are savages across the board. Non-scholarship programs like Drake and San Diego and all the pioneer schools. I mean, gosh, guys that are just banging, like, impressive football players across the board. You watch some quarterback from one of these schools that maybe not isn't going to win a ton of games warm up and, and start spitting the football. I mean, that thing is whistling, you know? Like, they are top 100 quarterbacks in the country because, guess what, they probably were at some other school, whether it be a Minnesota or a a, a Tulsa or a, or a Tulane, they were at an FBS school at some point, very, very likely, because of all the programs that really matter, if you're not starting, you transfer. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about real deal players across the board. I think a guy like Prime, you know, Deion Sanders is going to have a little bit more success. Just do – we talk about being famous. He's real deal famous. He's one of the most famous athletes in America, period, in, in whether that was during his time or after. The likes of Eddie George, maybe – can come close to that. But, you know, Ed McCaffrey regionally is very famous. And Ed McCaffrey in, in real fandom circles is, is a very famous football player, but he's not like that famous. So, you know, I think he'll be able to get a lot of regional recruits. You know, he'll get a lot of kids from the Denver area, a lot of kids from Colorado. He'll be able to uh, – but, like, what kind of kids? You know, are you getting quarterbacks and receivers? I mean, like, how many offensive linemen right now who are born in 2002 know who Ed McCaffrey is? None is the answer. Absolutely none. Um, their dad might know who it is. They might be my age. They might have been, you know, uh, a, a mid to uh, young, a young adolescent to a mid teenager when Ed McCaffrey was around. But um, otherwise, some of those shining stars might not shine as quite as bright in, in the modern day because as it, time moves forward, like it always does, it's 2021, and Ed McCaffrey has not been in the prominent spotlight for over 20 years. So the idea that, as you mentioned, are you going to come in here and just change everything around? 
with only coaching experience, high school experience. This is Division One football, man. As you as you said, Colter, as you alluded to, uh, it's a real it's the real deal. And again, I don't want to dwell on, on the negatives, but I will say the other perception I have in the Big Sky Conference thus far, and there's been a lot of conversation and talk about Montana State being very talented, but also playing this soft schedule. I mean, they have gotten a pair of non-scholarship FCS teams in Drake and San Diego at home. They also then got Northern Colorado, who's not good. Cal Poly this week, who's not good. So they have a chance to really gain some momentum. But the other thing I think is there's always the spin of the depth and talent within a league. I think that the Big Sky does have really good talent at the top but i think that the league when it once was filled with parity and it once was filled with balance it's filled with two tiers now the teams that got it and the teams that don't there's only a couple i think okay teams in the league i think portland state could be an okay team but after idaho state went and got absolutely drilled at northern arizona last week there's multiple i think there's like five bad teams in this league and uh you just wonder what sort of effect that has because on one hand like the bobcats right now they got a chance to build a bunch of momentum and be on potentially an, and likely a five game winning streak as they head down to weaver next week but all that said is it testing you to the point you need to prepare for those big time games uh, i'm not sure but i think that we've seen sort of a stratification of the league in a different form or fashion it's not as deep as it's ever been in fact the top half is as good as it's ever been but the bottom half is also as bad as it's ever been and and i don't know i actually think that that actually might be the better thing for the league just in terms of i always think that when the eighth best team can knock off the number two team that's going to hurt you on a national level more than just having these collision courses and then the games and the showdowns come down to when the top three or top four teams play each other uh throughout the season yeah you know it's a great point and i've been i've been working on a way to ask brent vegan that because it's a sensitive topic as far as how do you ask a first-time head coach if his, if his schedule is preparing him to play really good teams ah, first off how would he know um you know he's never played weber or montana or eastern ever in his entire career at any stop i imagine uh, maybe at North Dakota, North Dakota State, but otherwise, I don't think he's probably ever played any of those teams. Does he know about them? Sure. But has he ever felt what it's like to be a Washington Grizz or go to go to Cheney and play on the red turf on a primetime game? Like, he doesn't. So it's really hard to say, like, are you think you're being prepared enough to play the better teams you're going to play? Like, hard to ask that question. I'm going to find a way to do so. But it's also, again – an important topic to talk about when we talk about Division One football, there is a little bit of a stratification of FBS and FCS, as you talked about within the big sky, stratification of the two tiers. When we talk about the tiers of FBS and FCS, I have really seen a big impact on some of the programs that don't have the financial input or necessarily the community support during COVID to keep some of these programs necessarily afloat. So I continue to be a believer that during COVID time, when you're a program without a ton of heritage or maybe without a ton of outside support, uh, you lost more than the teams that have that support. So you are a step behind. I think that there is a little bit of a stratification there within programs as far as who is prepared, who had off-season training that was ample enough. What did the spring look like for some of these teams? You know, you talked about Northern Arizona, Idaho State, some of these teams that played five or six games in the spring, what does the injury toll look like on those teams? I had to turn around, have guys have surgery in the summer, and guys that aren't on their roster right now or on their active roster due to those injuries in the spring. I think a ton of that has to do in the FCS, and I think that there is, you know, there's there's less parity than ever right now due to some of those the spring schedule and COVID, and I think that. Not only could you trace it, you could ask a million coaches about it. I think that there's something to be found there. There no question is. I mean, 
You look at the big sky. Let's, let's just run through the teams really quick. Eastern, we're just talking quarterbacks right now. Eastern Washington still has their quarterback, Eric Berrier, 34-28 against Montana on Saturday. He looked like the best player in the country. He's still rocking and rolling for Eastern. UC Davis, despite the fact that they remain undefeated at 5-0, they're on their third quarterback. Hunter Rodriguez is out. Their backup is out, so they were rolling with a number three quarterback against Idaho last week. That's half the reason that they struggled. Montana State, Matt McKay, he's still rolling along. Sacramento State, they have been trying to replace uh, Kevin Thompson, and so they've had a couple guys played, and it's not necessarily because of injury, but they definitely are not necessarily completely solidified at the quarterback position. Montana, Cam Humphrey went out in the end of that Eastern Washington game. He will be out indefinitely. It's going to be the Chris Brown show, at least for the, the foreseeable future at Montana. Northern Arizona, Keon Woodkey, the Oklahoma State transfer, is out. So is their backup. They were rolling with their number three quarterback on Saturday. They still beat Idaho State. Drilled Idaho State, in fact. Portland State still got their guy, Davis Alexander. Bronson Barron and his backup at Weber State, both out. Idaho was rolling with C.J. Wilson, their third string guy, against UC Davis. Cal Poly's played five, count them, five quarterbacks so far this season. Southern Utah still has their guy in Justin Miller, but it hasn't mattered much because they've only won one game. In Idaho State, they're on their third guy as well. Tyler Vanderwall is out too. So just at the quarterback position, you're talking about two-thirds of the league that don't have everybody under center. So of course, you got Dylan McCaffrey, who is under center right now for Northern Colorado, but he actually missed part of one game and then another whole game earlier this year as well. So pretty much everybody has been affected besides Eastern Portland State and Montana State at the quarterback spot already. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that it's not just quarterback. You know, I mean, this is, and we always talk about it, it's a violent game, but um, at this level, it, it, quarterback is vitally important at, at all levels. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's important in the modern day game. It's, it's important in, in the historic you, you go back to the 30s and 40s and 50s. I mean, quarterback has always been important. You know, I mean, even teams that need to run it, you got to take the snap. Yeah, I don't know how many people have ever put their hands under center. It ain't easy. Well, that ball comes back there pretty quick. Better watch those knuckles. I mean, it is uh, it's not an easy position. Uh, it's not easy to hand the ball off, you know. Whether you're talking about you're going outside trap, you're on a power, it's not easy to, to, to get your drop right and stick that ball right in the running back spot over and over 35, 45, 60 times a game. None of that is easy from the quarterback position, let alone driving the ball downfield, let alone running complex concepts like what Eastern likes to do, let alone actually having the arm talent to, to throw the football. So there's so much that goes into it, and there's a reason it's so coveted. Um, and as you mentioned, at this level, Colton, we talked about some of the FBS drop-downs, very common, even if it's cross-FCS transfers. You get new blood in the program at that position. You get guys to have the opportunity throughout camp. Um, it's not like a you know the third-string quarterback gets more run than, than the third-string tight end. You know The third-string quarterback gets a lot more – playing time and more emphasis of coaching than a lot of players on the team do. So, it, you know, I, you hope everyone can stay healthy because you, you don't want a team like an Eastern Washington or even look at what's happening to Weber, as you mentioned, you know, a, a team that was a perennial top 10 team. We've called them the kings of the big sky until they are uncrowned, on the, you know, making a good three of the last four um, big sky championships, a team that is now one and two, um, or well, maybe two and two, they're struggling, you know, and we, you hope that it doesn't happen at the top of the league. Alpine Touch has been part of the fabric of Montana for more than 60 years. Decades ago, Russell Street started selling his Touch of Magic in Whitefish. Years later, Alpine Touch's all-purpose seasoning remains a favorite. It's tailgating season, and there's no better way to spice up your grill before a Grizz game than with Alpine Touch. Go to alpinetouch.com now and use the checkout code ESPN10 for a 10% discount on your order. Alpine Touch is here to keep your mouth watering all football season. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. 
Yeah, no question. We were state. They did take down Cal Poly last week. So they go into their bye week two and three overall, one and one in Big Sky Conference play. Montana State coming to town next week. So before we get into some of the stuff from this week's games, because you know we're talking about a lot of things that have nothing to do with the results of last week or this week, because last week Montana State basically just rolled over Northern Colorado, and uh, this week Montana's got Dixie State, and Montana State's got Cal Poly. So a couple other not that interesting contests, but the most interesting contest in the Big Sky Conference to date thus far was Montana at Eastern Washington last Friday night. The numbers are out, 263,000 views uh, on the broadcast, which is about one-fourth of what uh, normal games like this, or I guess FCS games in the past have gotten. That said, some of those games included teams from pretty high population areas, and uh, they weren't kicking off at 9.30 Eastern time, and uh, it was on a red turf. So a lot of factors here nor there. The game itself was phenomenal. Uh, I've said a lot about it already this week on my daily radio show. So Brooks, I'll let you give your take first. Well, the game ended on, on Sunday. Right. Um, in the East Coast, it kicked, it kicked off at 1030. Um, I, you know, I'm not surprised by those viewership numbers. Um, and as you mentioned, some of the, 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 you know, the week zero game, which got a, a ton of traction, I think it was North Carolina State A&T versus Alcorn. Or, you know, that game got a ton of traction because it's the first college football game. You know, the FCS kickoff in that week zero Um and then Jacksonville State was on another one with Deion Sanders, and you know, Jacksonville is probably one of the top, you know, 20 most populated cities in the in the country. So not surprised by the numbers, uh, but the game itself was certainly darn impressive. I mean, Eastern Washington came out with their head, their hair on fire on defense. I mean, they wanted it and they wanted it from the jump. And you can't you can't say any less for Montana, who played so darn well on defense as well. Uh, you know, gave up some big shot plays for the first time. But that was the thing that we talked about extensively, Coulter, was are, what, what are they going to do? How much are they going to blitz, you know? How much are they going to bring pressure? Uh, Coach Best calls them a 60% pressure team, um, and they stuck with that. And, they, 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 you know, they played the cards that they have. They, they did not try to delineate from what their identity has been on defense. But that being said, then you had a couple, you know, one-on-one top, you know, barely any coverage over the top shot plays some 60 yard completions i mean that one to limu was down to the four or five yard line where he got ended up getting hurt that's a big play that's a 60 yard toss you know that's a huge uh, receiving play the Grizz have not given up anything like that this year especially to teams like UW, um who you look at and they made them dink and dunk over the field they lit them up in the run game and they brought pressure and passing downs they weren't able to get to Barrier quite as much as they hoped to. There was some, a couple of big sack plays that included some big losses. But even on those plays, I remember a, a specific third and four, uh, a second and 14 where Barrier steps back into the pocket and completes a 12-yard pass, third and two. You know, so that sack is completely negated. Um, so both teams played really well on defense. Even though you look at the score being relatively high scoring, I think that's just due to some of the, the, the power of the pressure in the situation. It's just how much are they going to start leaning on each other. Some of those emotions tire you out a little bit quicker. Uh, you have some of those shot plays or some of those um, chunk plays. So overall, I thought Eastern, I wasn't sure that, I thought we both had talked about. I thought this would be a twenty-one seventeen game. Yeah. Um, kind of either way, I could see a, a team winning. So the fact that it got a little bit higher scoring, I think, was due to that. Some of those factors we talked about: the ESPN thing, the late night kickoff, which no one is used to playing that late. Um, some of the the emotions that play into that, I think, that led to a little bit higher scoring. Um, and then the Grizz at, at the very end, you know, they they drive down to still have a chance. Uh, Chris Brown comes in and throws a pretty darn good ball and a jump ball, which which we have pretty good evidence of might have been very well could have maybe should have been caught. Um, what a battle. You know, I have, I was telling the, the sound guy at Montana state after a Northern Colorado game, I said, I haven't seen a good game in a thousand days. You know, I really hadn't. 
Last Cat Grizz that we saw was a, was a blowout one way. I had not seen a very competitive game in a long time, and while albeit I was not there, I, you could feel the energy, you could feel the importance of the game. I was very impressed with with, with Eastern Washington, but not surprised that Eric Berrier uh, was able to be the best player in the game. You know, I, would you say, would you agree with that, Coulter, that at the end of the day, Eric Berrier's performance, while so impressive and so fun to watch, it was not surprising. Absolutely. I mean, that's my broad takeaway from this game is to be an excellent team, you run what you run. You can game plan and, and skew some stuff, but mostly you got to do what you do well. What does Montana do well? They bring the fucking house. That's what they do, man. They bring the heat. And what do they do on Saturday? They brought the heat. They sacked the most elusive quarterback in the country. Five official sacks. I had them for seven. Eastern Washington's scorekeepers were skewing the numbers because there was two times where Barrier basically bailed. Like, he saw the entire cavalry coming. He was going to get hit by three or four Grizz at once. So he just flopped onto the turf. And they counted it as he was slipping. So it was a negative rushing attempt instead of a sack. That's here nor there. In the fourth quarter, the one you're talking about, the Tololo Limu Jones over the top, the 58-yard gain to set up Dennis Merritt's go-ahead touchdown. On that play, Montana ran a perfect double-A gap blitz. The personal protector picked up Marcus Wellnell. Jace Lewis is running free. He goes crown to face mask on Eric Berrier. A perfect textbook, clean hit, as, as good as you can run it. They ran the play perfectly. And Berrier, without even looking, like he's got a guy in his face. He throws off his back foot on a dime to a streaking receiver who beats double coverage. I mean, at that point, it's like, you gotta give credit where credit's due, man. Montana executed the play to perfection, and the dude made the perfect throw. That's just the best player in the country making a play, and I, I think that you can sit there and dissect it all you ever wanted. There's no coaching or adjustment or execution or anything that can make anything that happened on that play go differently. That's just the dude who's going to win the Walter Payton Award, making one of his best throws of his of the night and probably of his life. Yeah, man. And it's, I'm not surprised. I mean, we went down to Frisco, Texas and watched Eastern Washington take on North Dakota State in the, in the FCS championship a handful of years back. And guess what? North Dakota State hammered them. They beat them so good. They beat them handedly. Eastern Washington had, had no talent to even compare. And guess what? It was a one-score game almost the entire time because there was this one guy out there who's running for his life, throwing for his life, completing passes that are not even possible, and that guy's Eric Berrier, a guy that literally almost beat North Dakota State in the national championship by himself, let alone, like, get him some good receivers, get some, a nice offseason, have the program continue to kind of be stable at the very least, if not continue to grow under Aaron Best. Eric Berrier is a dog, man, and if you ever talk to him, if you ever be around him, and you ever see him smile, you ever see him just kind of give you a little like, yeah, this is my show, and the confidence level is so darn high. Uh, they talked about it on ESPN, and, you know, I had, it all made sense, but I had not really noticed or actually would have been able to identify his exact throwing style. He doesn't throw with the laces, never has, doesn't want them. If he gets them, he feels uncomfortable. He catches the ball with the snap. However, he doesn't spin it. He doesn't twist it. He doesn't turn it. He catches the ball and throws it how he, got, how he gets it. I mean, you're talking about a guy not very big, doesn't have the biggest hands, and has that kind of arm talent. I mean, it's pro-level stuff, man. I mean, I have not really been around a guy that can throw as naturally as Eric Berrier does and can go – be a gamer is naturally. I mean, he brings the he brings his his teammates along with him. You know, he elevates their level of play. But at times, the ball is so perfect, you, you, you don't even have to catch it because it's stuck into your face mask. I mean, like it is literally in the breadbasket every single time when it matters most. I mean, what an attribute and what a player. 
What a player, man. We were thinking about it. Prisoner of the moment, to be sure, but we've seen some great quarterbacks over the last 10 or 15 years in the big sky. There's been a couple guys at at, at several different schools. I mean, Garrett Saffron and Kevin Thompson at Sac State were awesome. Case Cookus at Northern Arizona was really good. Alex Caressa uh, was good at Portland State. Justin Arias was good at Idaho State. Of course, Denarius McGee and Dakota Prukop at Montana State. Jordan Johnson at Montana. But most of the best quarterbacks we've seen the last 10 or 15 years have been in Eastern Washington, whether it's Matt Nichols or Bo Levi Mitchell, and Adams, Gage Gubrud, and now Eric Berrier. You'd be hard-pressed to sell any of those guys to me over Berrier besides probably Vernon Adams, man. I, I think that for the system that they run and what he wants to get done and what they need him to get done, I think that he's one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in the league. Yeah, I agree with you. I was going to say, it's it's kind of fun because it's almost like this little brother clone version of, of VA. I mean, Vernon Adams, they are different players. I think Vernon Adams is more electric with his feet. I think he has a, a little bit more open field ability, even though Barry, I mean, again, that, in that North Dakota State National Championship, I mean, God, he was making guys just look silly in the open field. So it's hard it's hard to say that, but I think VA had a little bit more big playability. Um, but, again, <laughs> it's apples and oranges. I mean, Barry, if they go – if he takes them into a deep playoff run or to another national championship, I mean, it, he's going to be right up there with, with the best we've ever covered. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. So let's talk about this Grizz loss. Not the end of the world. I think that, in fact, I think that one of the best parts about the FCS level, it's very unlikely, unless you're North Dakota State, or I guess Montana in a couple cases, you're going to go undefeated all the way until the national championship game. And oftentimes, the defining moment of your season is when you lose and what happens after that. And we've seen it throughout the years. I mean, Bobby Houck, like the 08 team, their loss to Weber State in the regular season was the thing that sparked them all the way to a national championship run. 2004, when they lost to Sam Houston State, again, sparked all the way to the national championship run. Those two teams, what they have in common, they also got to face that team that they lost to later on in the playoffs and then destroy them uh, both times in Missoula. That's also a huge factor is when you get that team to come to your barn. But all that said... I think that Montana definitely left a lot to be desired offensively, and we'll get into that here in just a minute, particularly with the fact that Cam Humphrey is likely out for the foreseeable future at quarterback for Montana. Even though it was a disheartening and, uh, for the Grizz players and coaches, heartbreaking loss, the rest of what they want, their their entire season, their goals, is still in front of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a tough loss, you know. I I think this is – the Cam Humphrey injury kind of, you know, it kind of magnifies the loss in a way. It's like it's it's kind of salt in the wound, if you will. Um, I think Chris Brown is a very capable quarterback, and we talked about you know Kim Humphrey struggled in that game um, at times, and, and just decision making, some of the some of the the pocket presence, you know, pushing the ball over guys' heads. You, know, you and I talked about overthrew Sammy and Cam five six times in a game. It's hard to do. He's a hard guy to overthrow as far as you know throwing the ball too high on a comeback route or what what have you. Um, but as far as a team goes, as you mentioned, it's, it, I almost don't want to go undefeated in the, in, in the regular season. I mean, of course you hope to. Uh, it's, it's all be fun and well, but, uh, you know, it's it's almost like if you get one out of the way, some of those kind of narratives, I'm not going to uh, subscribe to any of that stuff, but those narratives are out there. Um, I, I do think, as you mentioned, some of the teams in the past that have lost a game nationally 
um, to a relevant team, come back and it makes you a better team. Uh, you know, kind of, you have to go back to work harder. The goals stay even more prevalent in front of you. Um, so I do think that'll probably be the case for Montana. You mentioned about the FCS goal. It is not one of the best parts. It's the best part is that uh, they have a national playoff. I mean, what else matters? Like right now, uh, Clemson lost in the FBS. Clemson lost, but I think week two. And guess what? Their whole season's over. It's irrelevant. They ended up losing to North Carolina State later because guess what? Nothing matters. This Grizz team could lose again and still make the playoffs and still win a national championship. So all of that being said, it's very important at the FCS level to understand the ramifications of what kind of losses you're taking. Um, a national loss to, to the six overall ranked team on the road, um, I don't think is that big of a loss. Number four versus number six, when number six is at home, I almost think it might as well be five versus five. It's an even matchup in that case. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, it's, it's not a good loss, but by no means is it a bad loss. I do think that the Grizz also fall into a little bit of favor here by getting to play a Dixie State team with a brand-new quarterback with Chris Brown under center. Chris Brown will get to have a not, not a warm-up game by any means because this is an FCS team as, as, that's going to play in the WAC next year, uh, a team that has scholarships and a team that has you know some regional relevance. and uh, It's not no, by, by no means a rollover game, but it's a, it's, a, it's a game that the Grizz will be favored in, and I think that's quite lucky uh, to not have to go into and play a Weber State or go have to play a UC Davis this next week to get a game at home where you are likely favored with a new quarterback. Things are looking up for the Grizz. Um, and also, you know, we've talked, we've, we've talked a lot about Bobby Houck's motivational t- uh, tactics, and um, I don't think that there is, you know, better motivation or, or a team that will be practicing harder in the, next, in the coming weeks than this Montana team um, after facing that loss at Eastern Washington. Well, here's the thing, too, is if they do exactly what they did, especially defensively against Eastern Washington, like if they if they get seven sacks and house a kick, they're going to beat every single team in the country besides the one they just lost to, right? 100%. By two touchdowns. Exactly. So they just got to keep what they're doing, what they're doing. And that's the thing is, again, you can say that like Eastern showed the one weakness in Montana's defense. Well, the only way you can exploit that weakness is, again, if you have the best quarterback in the country. So, hey, you know, it is uh, an interesting situation. This week against Dixie State, not much to say about their transitioning to the Division One level. Uh, the one interesting note is that Paul Peterson is the head coach there. Paul Peterson was the uh, quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at Southern Utah when Brad Sorensen was there. When SUU first joined the league, Sorensen then of course became a uh, draft pick by the San Diego Chargers before then they moved to LA. But then Peterson went on to coach as the offensive coordinator at Sac State and he coached Garrett Saffron and uh, DeAndre Carter. Some of those great Sac State offenses that had the Hornets knocking on the door but made it to the postseason. Uh, but other than that, Montana's a decided favorite against the Trailblazers. Bobcats are also a decided favorite against Cal Poly. I really want to spend too much time analyzing this thing, but what did you just think of Montana State last week? Because they won 40 to 7. They could have won 65 to 7. They actually shot themselves in the foot in the red zone multiple times. They had to settle for four different field goals when they had the ball down in the red zone. Bobcats, they're just kind of humming along. You mentioned that it's kind of interesting to think of a new coaching staff and how do you evaluate? Are you getting better while playing overmatched opponents? But I think that we've seen so often there's the cliche we're going to worry about ourselves. We're going to worry about what we can take care of. And uh, Montana State seems to be living that. It seems to be one of the strengths of Brent Vegan as a head coach in general. And so can't afford to stub your toe with Weber looming in the future. Uh, but w- what do you think? What did you think of the Bobcats last week against Northern Colorado? And what do you think of their prospects this week with Cal Poly coming to town for homecoming? I think it'll be very similar. I think that they'll be a little bit more <clears throat> juiced up to play Cal Poly. They were a little bit sleepy against Northern Colorado. It's hard to blame them. I mean, you know, Northern Colorado came out <laughs> and didn't have a whole lot going very early. I mean, it, 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 you could tell kind of from the jump that, this team was kind of struggle to manufacture points. And defensively, you know, they might be able to kind of bend, don't break for a moment, but it was going to break inevitably. And it was just an overmatched team. I mean, 
Northern Colorado, we talk about them being able to get talent, um, you know, from the, from the metropolitan area, um, from, you know, being in one of the larger areas in the Big Side Conference. Um, you know, they, they do have some relevance. They've been able to get transfers at times. This, this wasn't one of those teams, to be honest. I mean, I, I saw this as a kind of almost a full rebuild. Uh, they only had a couple highlighted players here and there. And this is not a knock on Northern Colorado. I think that they would probably evaluate themselves in a similar way. Um, you know, the quarterback play was not great. The offensive scheme was a little bit disheveled as far as they, they didn't really have an identity. I'd mentioned to you, Colton, that they kind of came out and they threw the ball the first three plays of the game and punted. And uh, they – their most successful drive was with five minutes in the left in the, in the half, and or I guess seven minutes left in the half. And they ran the ball eight, eight times, eight or nine times, and drove like 80 yards in the field and, and had a, a passing touchdown to cap it. And it was like you waited until, you know, five minutes left in the first half to run the football at all to try to establish the run. It seemed like there wasn't a great game plan there. So Northern Colorado overmatched. I think Cal Poly will be in a very similar boat. I think homecoming will get a little more juice going within the stadium. The thing about the Bobcats right now is um, their offense is, is kind of just a, a a slow roll. They're just churning away yards. There's really no – there's some shot plays at times. Uh, but those shot plays are kind of more like a 30-yard play, not a 60-yard play. Um, they've had some miscues on special teams, which has been interesting. Been trying to figure out kind of what does that look like, how does that, how does that balance out. Brent Vegan mentioned this week, you know, a guy like Willie Patterson – uh, Montana State receiver has been in and out of the punt return position. It seems very odd to like they've had five punt returns this year during games. Multi, at least two guys, or if not three, return punts. When Coy Steele is healthy, Coy Steele, Willie Patterson, um, Cam Gardner, every one of them, almost by um, you know planning ahead of the game, would all return punts. And it's just like what? Usually you have one punt returner for a reason. Kind of guy getting a flow, uh, kind of you know play with a little bit of house money uh, when you've had a couple good returns. So all that stuff, they're still trying to figure out their, you know, kind of find their way. Brent Vegan is, is one of the most steady people I've ever been around as far as just very consistent and steady. It's almost alarming. It's like, where is the, you know, there's not a ton of, of fire in there, but I, I, I believe there is, uh, you know, on game day and, or rather maybe in, in meeting rooms and preparation, but he's just kind of a, he's just plotting along and, um, you know, doesn't have a ton of analysis as far as, far as how they're going to get a ton better besides just, you know, write up a new game plan every week and, um, I've been impressed with the diversity on offense from Taylor House, right, the offensive coordinator, uh, a young guy who, who who does drop new stuff every week and, and, and gets them to execute it at a relatively high level. So we'll see. Uh, you know, Weaver will be an interesting game, especially on a Friday, because, you know, we talked about with the Eastern game against Montana, you start mixing up the week, you start throwing in a new schedule, you know, kind of mess all that stuff up. It really does change everything to move a game a, a, a day ahead. You lose one of those days of prep. You lose one of your days of rest. Um, so that Weber game looming, certainly don't want to stub your toe. I, I almost think it's impossible to do so this week. Plotting along, it's it's part of the strategy, and I think that that's something that's going to be hard for people to accept because if you watch these games, Montana State is, is not really that thrilling or spectacular for the first three quarters, but the last 10, 15, 20 minutes of games, they just dominate because of their superior talent, but also because of their superior conditioning, the fact that their run game just wears you out, then all of a sudden, Afonso and Elliot just start gashing you, play after play after play. So the other thing is, somebody told me, somebody close to the program told me this, and I thought it was a great way of looking at it. They said, don't analyze Brent Vegan as you're analyzing him like a Montanan because he's he's 
at Montana State, and he's acclimating to Montana, but they said just think of him like he's a guy from uh, a small town in Nebraska because that's what he is. He's from a small town in North Dakota. He's very Midwestern and just his delivery and his deliberate nature and all those things, and so I do think it's just an acclimation process as we continue to learn how to quote-unquote consume a guy like Brent Vegan. Montana State, they haven't done anything that they weren't supposed to do yet. In fact, they, they are right on track, right on schedule. I don't think you can really ask for much more for the Bobcats. No, you can't. You know, Matt McKay at quarterback has been so damn efficient. And as you mentioned, their offensive line, Coulter, in the fourth quarter, you know, I got a 400-millimeter lens. and I'm, or meter, I'm staring down at Justice Perkins and Zach Reddit in the middle of the fourth quarter on second and eight. They, they're laughing. They're, like, they're literally, like, slapping each other in the thigh, making calls, laughing. Like, someone's talking shit across the line. They're like, we're about to just destroy you. Here comes a 16-yard power run to your face. Um, their level of confidence in that sense of – um, a team that knows they can run the football, but they don't have to necessarily just gash you early because they are going to stick with it. Um, and then the reemergence, I, we, we talk about how do we kind of analyze, break down and analyze some of the, the, the plotting along. We have to give some credit to the, the improvements in the passing game. There is shot plays. I mean, there are corner routes. In the, there, are, there are fade balls in the corner of the end zone with leaping touchdowns and toe taps and stuff. Like that hasn't I mean, Lance McCutcheon's like tripled his career receiving yards in five games. Right, and he's making big plays that, like like you've always said, like it's not – at this exact point, it's it's not like uh, – uh, it's not luck. It's not just random. It, like, he's the real deal right now. Lance McCutcheon has improved tremendously. He's, he's winning. You know, he's beating guys all the time. Um, that's been impressive, you know, but – Ryan Davis was out last game, the tight end. So the tight ends haven't been as involved as they were early. And kind of what we always are harping on, how to use power run team, how don't you get the, the, the ball at the tight end? How don't you get the ball at the slot? It's kind of been the Lance McCutcheon show. Jaden Smith has been involved a little bit. Andrew Patterson, the, the, the speedster freshman, scored a long touchdown on his first catch last week. Um, they do have some weapons at, uh, in, the, in the pass game. But mostly it's what I'm staring down the barrel. It's Matt McKay's eyes, pre-snap. He, and then post-snap, he gets the ball, he works his eyes, he gets to the read he likes, and his delivery in motion is actually really impressive. You know, it's, it's a smooth, easy, confident delivery. Um, one of the better ones I've seen in a while as far as – it does not, not a ton of power. The accuracy is, is above average, but it's not elite. I mean, it is very – the stats would say different as far as his efficiency is elite. The accuracy is there. But he does miss passes from time to time. He makes all the easy ones and makes all the ones that are there for you to, to make. Um, but it's all about kind of just watching the delivery, watching the action. And, and he's tremendously confident in his abilities, um, and the coaches are as well. They put him in positions to succeed. Uh, we saw them against – I guess this would have been against San Diego. Um, he was really electric in the open field and on the ground with his feet. Um, they haven't really showed a bunch of that yet. Again, so I asked Coach Vegan – did you get into different corners of the playbook uh, to try to extend or make teams prepare for more? Did you more or less, did Matt McKay run a bunch this week? So teams have to prepare for it. And he said, no, that's not the case. We prepare different every week. Every team gets a different look. We prepare and put in plays that we hope will beat that one team. And it's like, okay, maybe that's the case. But I would imagine at some point, Matt McKay, when they start to take away Lance McCutcheon at times, Matt McKay will use his feet more. It'll be important to see against, you know, a little bit more light competition or a better competition how much he can change the game with his feet because I do think it's a very important element of what their potential could be. So, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to, to, to knock Montana State offensively even though at times it's not electric. It is, uh, it is very sure-handed, and, and they definitely have a good thing going. 
Brooks Nuanas, best there is. SkylineSportsMT.com. He'll be live in person from the Cal Poly Montana State game on Saturday. Tom Stuber also be in the press box for you there. I'm stuck in Missoula because I got to do my pregame tailgate show, which is sold out. It's great. We love the sponsors and all that, but this is the first time this season where we haven't hit what's going to be the better of the two games. I still don't expect the game to be that competitive in Bozeman, but I don't expect it to be competitive in Missoula at all. But we'll be splitting the markets as we always do. SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks to Blackfoot Communications and Alpine Touch for being the proud presenters of the Big Sky Breakdown. Brooks, thanks so much for joining us, man, and uh, good luck this weekend. We'll see you soon. Yeah, absolutely, Coulter. And I just got to let everyone know, uh, the winter's coming. The cold weather's coming. So all these factors that we talked about offensively, defensively, home field advantage, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a late fall football a little bit different. It's always fun to get to this point of the season where we kind of have an idea of what teams look like, and we're going to keep churning away. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. Do you want your sports news, commentary, and features from a corporate publication? Would you like to hear it from local experts who have lived in your community their entire lives? As Skyline Sports, Coulter and Brooks Nuanas bring more than two decades of experience to give you old-school journalism with a new-age presentation at SkylineSportsMT.com. The Nuanas brothers provide knowledge from a family who lives Big Sky Conference athletics every day. For $8 a month or 90 bucks a year, get access to comprehensive college Grizz and Bobcat coverage at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day every season. Big Sky Breakdown rolls on. Ty Gregorak, longtime assistant coach across the Big Sky Conference, primarily Montana, Montana State, joins us now as he does each and every week. And Coach Ty, we're going to get into a bunch about Montana's loss at Eastern Washington, the game that everybody had their eyes on. But first, we'll talk about the Montana State game because there was not much to talk about other than some tight pants and a clipboard being thrown in the stands. Montana State dismantled Northern Colorado 40-7, to but the headline comes when Eric Zambrano got his first career pick for the Bobcats. He picked off former four star recruit Dylan McCaffrey. That led to Max McCaffrey, Dylan's older brother, and the other son of Ed McCaffrey, Northern Colorado's head coach, becoming infuriated, breaking his clipboard, and then when someone made a comment about Max McCaffrey's tight pants, throwing the clipboard into the stands. There's a lot of different stories here. Northern Colorado is spinning it as if he was giving the fan a souvenir. Montana State is spinning it, or at least the fan and the the people in the, the crowd are spinning it as a guy that was losing his temper and throwing things into the stands at fans. So a pretty silly story, but the one that comes out of this game because otherwise this was a complete mismatch. The Bobcats didn't even play that well, yet they won in a runaway. Well, let's start on the positive. It was another fantastically gorgeous day in Bozeman to go watch college football. Uh, Obviously, MSU is doing a lot of good things sides of the ball. I mean, never easy with, you know, a coaching change and, you know, just different uh, philosophies and, and, you know, MSU looks really good. Uh, It's as stupid of a story as I've heard in a while, mostly because now I think it was the AD has come out and apologized for young McCaffrey on the sideline. and, And then I guess, you know, the fans supposedly asked for a souvenir uh, of the broken clipboard, so he threw it at him. I, I don't, the whole thing's so stupid to me. And, and listen, Colter, you know me. I've thrown a clipboard or two in my day, okay? Uh, but it's just, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, man. It's just so 
stupid of, of a story. And the fact that you can pull up ESPN right now on their website and you see McCaffrey throws. And the problem is it doesn't even say, you know, all, all you're thinking is probably the old man, but it's his son. And then his other son, the former five-star recruit, who, I mean, it barely completed some screen passes. Uh, I don't know. That, that their, their outfit's got a long way to go, no question. But then, I mean, talk about another another fantastic, stupid story for a former college coach who wants to stay in college, but this Urban Meyer deal. I mean, oh, buddy. You know, it, it's like, just stop talking. Stop talking. You know, you, you obviously screwed up. You made a mistake. It's 2021 where everything, you know, is a phone and Instagram and viral and Twitter. Just stop talking and just say, I screwed up, uh, you know. But, yeah, so McCaffrey's making the headlines right now by throwing his clipboard at a fan uh, in Bozeman. And I guess uh, it is what it is. Just stop talking and apologize. We all make mistakes. Just say, I'm sorry. Absolutely true. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's why the Patriots have gotten away with everything for the last 20 years, because they just don't say anything about anything. And that's just how it goes. But I think that (laughs) more than just the sort of hilarity of this, this situation, there's, 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 there's some symbolism here. Max McCaffrey clearly as frustrated as he's ever been on a football field because Northern Colorado was getting manhandled. And to me, their lack of preparation, their lack of continuity, uh, it it led to just another lack of execution. And Montana State, I mean, there was a couple cheap shots by Northern Colorado that sort of elicited the Bobcats losing in their tempers, but they got personal fouls in the red zone four different times the Bobcats did and baited into, into into sort of losing their cool. I just thought, though, all of that's to say that this is yet another example of a college program, particularly a football program, hiring a big name based on name and not coaching ability. I just think it's fascinating that a lot of these guys, Eddie George, Deion Sanders, I think that they thought they were going to be able to walk in the FCS level and dominate just based on their own name recognition, and that's just not the case. And so I think it's it's good for the FCS. I think it shows how tough the level is, but also I think there's a huge disconnect here because I think that, as you know, as a guy that coached in the FCS level for 15 years, so much of it is actually coaching the players. You got to develop the guys. It's not like a plug and play at the FBS level. So I, I found it fascinating that that frustration was sort of on display because I think these guys didn't realize what they were getting into. I don't think they ever expected to play teams like Montana State in an environment like that, like it was on Saturday. Well, then they didn't do the research uh, because right. it's stupid. If, if, if that's what I mean, and listen, I, I guess. From a recruiting standpoint, if you know if you're if you live in the Denver metro area or the state of Colorado, when Ed McCaffrey walks into your house, you know, especially I mean, it's probably let's let's call it spade a spade. It's probably cooler for the parents, right? It's probably cooler for no the question. dad. You're like, dang, there's Ed McCaffrey, cool. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so many, there's thousands and thousands of coaches that put in years and years of work and gain experience and go through the fire. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'll put it to you this way, Coulter. I thought, so, so we played him in my last season there in Bozeman under, I, th- I think that was Ernest last year. They were way better. <laughs> they were way better than what I saw on Saturday. I mean, like, like you're saying, just undisciplined. They couldn't run the ball. I mean, I, I actually looked I, at halftime. I hooked up with a couple friends, and I said, this will just be another ho-hum blowout. Like, it was kind of weirdly boring, you know? I mean, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. Uh, gorgeous day. It was awesome. But it was just kind of a weird, like, ah, what are we watching? This is bad ball. Not, I'm not talking about Bobcats. It just, 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it's cool. I mean, trust me. I mean, we all grew up watching Deion Sanders and Eddie George. I remember, I remember meeting Eddie George on my recruiting trip to Ohio State in 1996, and he's a legend. But I don't know. <laughs> coaching is such a hard, challenging sport. You almost wonder why some of these guys even want to do it. Like, really? I mean, you, you, I'm assuming you've got plenty of money in the bank. You're not going to make any money in the FCS. I guess you really, truly just love working with kids, but it is funny to me. In his first year, he's got his son as the offensive coordinator, his son as the quarterback. I mean, you talk about a recipe for disaster in my mind. There's no question. I mean, we just wonder how long it lasts, too, because I do think, I mean, he said on my daily radio show, Nuanas Now, last week, that his main motivation is coaching his kids. He's loved coaching his kids. He's still got some kids left to coach, so he's just kind of coaching his boys. But when it's not going as well like that it is right now, I don't know. I, I just I thought I also had to have a little laugh that Northern Colorado has won 34 games since they joined the Big Sky Conference back in 2006. Yep. They've only won 24 yep. league games. But in that span, every guy that they've had at quarterback is way better than Dylan McCaffrey and in fact NFL caliber guys I mean Seth Lobata got into a camp Kyle Slaughter's still in the NFL Jacob Nip if it wasn't for multiple shoulder injuries probably would have got a shot in the league so Northern Colorado this the talent it's not the talent that's been lacking particularly a quarterback these last uh, forever yeah, since they joined the big sky it's just the fact that they, they just don't know how to they don't know how to break through and, and have a sense of belief of how to learn how to win basically well, listen, you, you've, you've taken many a trip to Gray lately, just the way I have. Uh, you know, they have not invested in becoming a Division One. I'll call it Division One, even though we're, you know, FCS. So you go to that stadium, Coulter, and what do you see? You see a couple, you see a couple of uh, signs on the, on the, on the uh, scoreboard. It says national champions. And when they were in Division Two, they were really good. Shoot, they produced, they produced Joe Glenn, who took that job, to become a national championship winning coach in Missoula. But you look at the stadium, you look at the stands, you look at their giant, giant blow-up bear that looks like a, a, a giant beaver of some kind uh, there in the end zone. You just go, oh, okay. I mean, I guess this is this is another big sky school that we get the luxury. I mean, it's, it's bring your own energy, right? I mean, you go to places like that, and you're like, okay, boys, it's, <laughs> it's going to be quiet. It's going to feel weird. It's going to be different. Bring your own energy because their fan base is just not, you know, what you're going to get in uh, Missoula, uh, Eastern, Bozeman, Weber State, etc. So, yeah, it, it's a different deal. Last question on this game, or just the the Cats as a whole, I guess. Montana State, that's their third straight home victory over a completely overmatched opponent. They have a fourth home game against an opponent that they're heavily favored against on Saturday against Cal Poly. On one hand, this is a new coaching staff that's getting a lot of momentum early. I mean, they have a chance to be 5-1 and one going into next week's game at Weber State. But on the other hand, they haven't really been challenged. They've been rolling teams they're supposed to roll in front of their home crowds on beautiful Bozeman Saturdays. So, um, I mean, where are we at just with the, the, the trajectory of the program? I mean, what is, is Montana State performing up to par, or how do you evaluate that when some of their opponents are so overmatched? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they finally, you know, years into it, I, I say years into it just because I kind of came onto the scene and he's actually, uh, you know, caring about MSU football, you know, they finally got a really favorable home schedule. I mean, culture, they're not going to be tested this week next week at Weber State. But, I mean, look, look, look at the remaining home schedule. What is it? Idaho. Um, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But their, their home schedule, is, I mean, they will go undefeated at home. That is a fact. It's because it is, it is not a very good schedule. That being said, 
I mean, they're, they're playing well. I mean, I don't feel like they're ever playing down to the opponent's level, which is, you know, some, you know, 18 to 22 year old guys that you can do that. So I think they're taking care of business. Their defense is playing really well offensively. They're doing some really good, good things. And, um, you know, again, Cal Poly's just got a long way to go. They probably going to be another, you know, ho-hum blowout. Like I, like I, like I called last week and, uh, but I'll, I'll be there watching. Hopefully I get to see Coach Bo and, and his crew. Uh, you know, we'll see. But um, they're doing the right things. You're right. I mean, they, they need another they need another kind of curb stomping just to keep giving themselves momentum because they have struggled as of late going down to Ogden. Not an easy place to play. And, and Coach Hill uh, is, is one of the best. You know, he's one of the best in the league for sure in FCS. Alpine Touch has been part of the fabric of Montana for more than 60 years. Decades ago, Russell Street started selling his Touch of Magic in Whitefish. Years later, Alpine Touch's all-purpose seasoning remains a favorite. It's tailgating season, and there's no better way to spice up your grill before a Grizz game than with Alpine Touch. Go to alpinetouch.com now and use the checkout code ESPN10 for a 10% discount on your order. Alpine Touch is here to keep your mouth watering all football season. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. Ty Gregorak joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Alpine Touch. Alpine Touch is sponsor one of my big fall giveaways on Nuanez Now this fall. All you have to do is follow Nuanez Now and Skyline Sports as well as Alpine Touch and Haymaker Beef on all the variety of social media, specifically Instagram is what we're looking for most. But Instagram, Facebook, follow those all those places. Skyline Sports, ESPN Missoula, Alpine Touch, Haymaker Beef. And we got a grand prize of a Traeger, a tailgate Traeger smoker for you, a beef box from Haymaker Beef and a year's supply of Alpine Touch. You can also find all of Alpine Touch's awesome products at alpinetouch.com. Ty, let's talk about the game that most of the eyes around the Big Sky Conference were on. It was actually funny that last week there was no real competitive games in the league besides the one featuring the two uh, highest ranked teams in the league. Eastern Washington takes out Montana 34-28. A ton of details I want to ask you about, but just your broad take on watching the Grizz and the Eagles on ESPN2 on Saturday night. Yeah, I'll start by saying it was an awesome game, all right? I mean, you cannot – listen, you can't take anything away from either program. Uh, I mean, obviously the one that, that lost is usually how you preface that deal. But it was a fantastic football game against two really good teams. It's crazy to think – and I don't know. I, I've been all over Hill and Dale. I mean, I'm in Columbus right now at the truck stop. I haven't got to listen to your show. It is, it's insane to think just as well as Montana's defense has been playing that they gave up more points in the last quarter of ball than they had in the previous three games combined. That's, that's crazy. Now, cannot take anything away from Eric Berrier and Eastern's offense and the game itself. I got to tell you, I know you and I were texting, and I stayed up you know, after midnight watching it. You remember how we ended the show last week? I said, there's going to be a special teams play. I mean, I texted you. I'm like, there it was. Here we go. And they just couldn't close it out. And again, not not to take anything away from Eastern, I felt like Montana uh, did enough to win the game and obviously did enough to lose the game at the end there. And, and, and I, honestly, it's, it's tough to put that all in the defense here in the fourth quarter because, I mean, they did, they did do some really good things. Um, you know, and offensively, I mean, you, you, you watch the game, and I know you've probably been analyzing it for the last few days. Uh, you know, offensively, they just kind of 
went into a rut and, and, and I think put their team in, in some really tough situations. And obviously the quarterback getting dinged up, and I'm not totally sure what his status is, or if they've even announced that, if he's out for the game or not. But, you know, it was uh, you know a couple top ten teams duking it out late. I mean, it's a, that's a late game now. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming just going back to – History's fast. I mean, we're not—they're not chartering a plane for that deal. So that's a bus trip, and that had to have been a very, very long night slash early morning for the Grizzlies to come back to Missoula. Fantastic game. And as as I told Candace the next morning, because she went to bed, you know, hours before, I said, "Hey, listen, if those two keep doing what they're doing, and you know, if if obviously Montana." And I won't say right now on October 6th that they have to run the table, but, you know, assuming they both keep doing what they're doing, there's a heck of a shot that they'll see each other again, you know, come November or early December. So. Well, Montana has a favorable schedule as well. The Grizzlies don't play no Weber State and they don't play UC Davis this year. So uh, Sac State coming to town will be the next uh, probably big challenge for the Grizz in two weeks. Uh, and then, of course, when the Cats come to town on November 20th, the Grizz do dodge a couple of the better teams in the league this year. So I think that could be to their advantage as well. Uh, I want to ask you about a whole bunch of stuff. But first and foremost, Ty, you're right. It was a great game. I thought both teams showed really, really well. I thought Montana's defense played exceptional. I think if they rush the passer like that against every other quarterback in the conference, they're going to be just fine. I mean, they're going to mess people up if they keep sending the heat like that. Also, though, sometimes you just got to give credit where credit's due. Now, in that fourth quarter, they called a perfect uh, A-gap blitz. Jace Lewis comes straight up the middle of the field, untouched, blasts Barrier square in the face. Barrier throws off back foot perfectly over the top of the coverage for a 58-yard gain. It's like, man, there's no one else in the country that's making that throw. And sometimes if he makes that throw, that's what you were giving up. And like credit where credit's due, right? Yeah, no no question. I mean, listen, they... it was a fantastic game. And you're right. I thought Montana defense played really well, too. Uh, you know, the, 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 those, that, that 24 points here in the fourth quarter, I mean, you can dissect that and how, how those points occurred. But, yeah, I mean, it, again, like I told you last week, it's, you know, you put on the film and you go, ah, you know, okay, this guy's good. I, you know, I, 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 I've evaluated and seen better already in the couple few weeks prior. Maybe, maybe not. But, I mean, he just makes plays. And, and the bottom line, Coulter, is they made plays when they needed to to win the game. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but, you know, two two great teams like that. I mean, it's going to happen this, this weekend, you know, across the country. It's just the, the teams that, that, you know, those those good teams, and Montana's a good team, but Eastern last Saturday night found a way to make plays when they had to, period. I mean, how much of that is a trademark of that program? Because as Aaron Best said, somebody asked him, Coach, what was it like going on this roller coaster ride? And he said, huh, you must not have been covering Eastern Washington games very long because that's how Eastern always rolls. They always are back and forth, but they can just score in bunches and they're always so good at home. So, I mean, how much do you think that is just a mentality and why they've been so successful the last 10 years? No, it is. It is. It's, uh, they have got a great thing going on the Inferno. I mean, they are now 62-10, and 10, I believe, and so – it's a belief. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like Montana. You know, when Mo- Montana straps it up at Washington Grizz, they genuinely believe like they're going to win the game, and Eastern does too. I feel like, uh, you know, I know I know we talked about it last week in terms of that's hard on a road team. All right, and I'm not going to make excuses, but again, you are bussing Eastern Washington. You are waiting around all day, and you're not waiting around in the comfort of your own home and and, and coming in for you know a pregame meal and a walkthrough, but you're sitting around a hotel and, you know, it's just, 
not making excuses. It was a great game. Eastern just made a couple more plays. But, yeah, they, they've got a mojo on the Inferno right now that is pretty awesome. I mean, I, I, you, you probably know the statistic, but in terms of field advantage over the last 10 years, I mean, well, it's probably the Fargo Dome, <laughs> Eastern, and then, shoot, probably James Madison. But the, and, and he talked about it, though, the way I remember it, right? I mean, he, he talked about, you know, when, when we talk to our guys, we have to win at home. The way, the way the playoffs are and the way, you know, good conference like the Big Sky, we have to take care of business at home. And then we got to go, you know, find, find a way enough times on the road. I believe that's, that's kind of basically the way Coach Seth described it. And they've done that. They've been excellent in Cheney over the last decade. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. I want to ask you about the night game dynamic because we were talking about this last week. But that's three night games and four games for the Grizz, and I would assume that they're probably doing most of their stuff in the morning into obviously early afternoon. I know they practice in the afternoons, but that's not in the evening. I mean, is there a, is there any validity to that? I mean, this the circadian rhythms being off, or the fact that you know playing at eight thirty at night is significantly later than Montana's used to playing football? Right. Yeah. No. I can't. I can't, I can't say. I don't want to make excuses for for. Montana football program right now, but it is, it is different. Yes, I mean you you're just not used to it. But now you know their their juices were flowing, and again it was a good game. It was a very good game. I mean Montana did enough things to probably get out of cheating with the win. Unfortunately, they did enough there, especially in that last quarter, to 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 get the loss. You know, but yeah, it is different, man. I'm just telling you, especially on the road. You know, it's one it's one thing to sit around Missoula. All day, and, and I mean, again, they're in the comfort of their own home or apartment, but the coaches will bring them in. It's not like they're just like, hey, boys, we'll see you tonight. No. They come in for a good pregame, and then they'll do a walkthrough and some video. Then they'll let them go home for a bit, go watch some college football in their own uh, homes. Now, I don't know how much that has changed since they've put in the Champion Center, which, you know, it actually has space and comfort and stuff for, for guys to lounge around and chill out a bit, but uh, it is definitely a different feeling. And, and, and I'll be honest, I mean, it's it's a different feeling just playing at night than the day. I mean, the lights are different. It's, uh, you know, 8.30 Montana time, you bet. I mean, that's that's pretty late. That, that, that is late. But, again, can't make excuses. You know they were ready to play. They were ready to play. They just lost to a good team. They keep doing things the way they're doing. Maybe they'll see them again and try to get some revenge. No question. What do you think of just the arc of the rest of the season now for the Grizzlies? Because this was actually reminiscent to me of a couple different occasions that I can remember with Coach Elk led Grizz teams. In 2004, uh, when you were on the staff, I know you guys lost to Sam Houston, came back, got him in the playoffs. 2008, on the soggy, rainy day in Weber State. Uh, then they get Weber back in the in the playoffs in Missoula. And the Grizz have been here before. Coach Houck specifically has been here before. Yep. So, I mean, I, I thought of those two games. But even though this was a, a heartbreaking loss on national TV that was, you know, by the way, Cole Grossman was two inches away from catching that ball. But regardless, um, the season's not lost for Montana. In fact, this could be a springboard for them for the rest of the season. Totally agree. I mean, we, we even in more recent days, uh, you remember uh, uh, Coach Blues last year, right? 
we dropped we dropped a really good game to Sacramento State, and then went on a heck of a run, uh, you know, a touchdown away from going back to a national championship there. So you know, I absolutely feel like he'll use this to fuel him. That's a great example of the 04 season in which we had a really good football team, just the way Montana has a really good football team now. We go on the road, a night game in Texas, different time zone, lose to a very good team. We both take care of business, get them back up in Missoula. And I think we whipped them pretty good the way I remember it, you know. Um, so I know you, you <laughs> losing's not fun, all right? But I think the Grizz know what they got a little bit. You know, I think they, I think, they think they're pretty good. They lost to a good outfit. They're going to use it to fuel them. This week's probably not a fun week for them in terms of, you know, just I mean, losing losing is not fun. I mean, you, you put so much work into, you know, essentially 11, 12, 13 tests of the, uh, you know, of the year on Saturdays. You know Coach Hawk will have them ready to go take out a lot of frustration on Dixie and then, and then continue to make a, a big sky run here as we get into the end of October and then obviously the games you remember play in November. So, there's, there's, everything is still out there to play for, man. I'm just telling you, there, you know, there's, there's a couple outfits that are that are sitting pretty right now, but it'll have a way of taking it, taking care of itself here with, you know, uh, EWU, uh, UC Davis, and Montana State all sitting undefeated right now. Still a lot of football to be played. Montana, Montana will be fine. They'll be just fine. The last question for you then. How much does the momentum of a season affect a team? Because it seems to me that if guys are really confident, that is one of the most important factors, no matter what your talent level is. If you have great talent, that's confident, that's even better. And so for both of these teams, the Grizz and the Cats are both exceptionally talented. I mean, I think they're absolutely, no question, some of the most talented versions of those two teams in the last handful of years, as well as uh, probably the most talented they've been simultaneously, probably since that 2011 season that you're uh, referring to some 10 years ago. Even if you are just drilling teams that are not playing playoff caliber or nowhere close to playoff caliber how much does just the winning just the continuing to win and build momentum affect a locker room and a team this time of year no i it absolutely plays a part and and you're right i think both outfits are extremely talented even with the loss in 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 i i still believe there's there's a high level of confidence we've talked about it the last few weeks just in terms of you know let's let's just relate it to the defense of montana they, they know where they fit. They know where they're doing. And that's how they're able to f- fly around and play so fast. The, the, they will be fine. But, yeah, confidence, no question. How do you get your confidence back? You go and curb stop another team just like they'll do this Saturday. I, I believe both programs in our state will do that. And they'll continue to ride that confidence. But, you know, if you look at both teams, a lot of veteran leadership, man. There is a ton of – I mean, I was sitting there on Saturday, and I, you know, I was just kind of – I mean, Jacks is so – that train has left the station. He is all ball. He loves football. He asks me questions. I mean, it's me and my six-year-old boy just sitting, sitting in the stands, and I love it. But, you know, you sit, I'm sitting there looking at guys like Lance, Lance McCutcheon. Are you kidding me? That guy is balling. Uh, Troy Anderson, Lewis Kidd, Isaiah Alfonso, Ty Okada. I mean, I'm just going down the list here. Uh, Tui. Uh, all these guys Benson. Are, are just vet, 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 Chase Benson. Veteran Daniel Hardy, Amandre Williams, Jeffrey Manning. I mean, exactly. yeah, they have so many right. dudes, man. So many dudes, but they've been in the program a long time. And so, yes, momentum, confidence, but that veteran leadership, man, that, 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 that's something you just – it cannot be taken away. And, and you know, one outfit it has, has a coach now that's been there three or four years, three seasons. 
one's got a new uh, a new coaching staff, but that core of dudes was like, hey boys, I mean, we, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were in the semifinals. You remember how to get there? If you don't, or if you're new, we're going to show you how to do it. And, and a lot of those guys over in Missoula, I mean, I, I look at the core of, of that team. There's a lot of veteran players that that are still hungry to get past the quarters in which they were a year and a half ago. They know how to get there. Coach Houck is absolutely the guy in terms of knowing the recipe for success and how to, how to get playoff run uh, type teams going, especially this time of year, October, as we start getting in the middle of October. I mean, I, I'm fired up, honestly. I get fired up talking to you because I cannot wait to see how the season plays out. Because, you know, for <laughs> – there's, in my mind, there's still some giant question marks. How good is UC Davis? What's Weber State? True, who, who truly is Weber this year? You know, I, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic uh, month, month and a half left of, of conference play. Definitely some collision courses on the horizon. Montana State's going to head to Cheney, and they also head to Missoula. So those will be pivotal games to watch. They also still have to make a trip to Weber as well. Davis, they won at Weber. They they skipped pretty much everybody else in the league this year. So maybe it takes a sack exactly. state knocking off Davis. We'll see. But definitely some collision courses, particularly between the two teams in the state of Montana, and that's going to make it really fun. Ty Gregorak, longtime coach and contributor here on the Big Sky Breakdown, joining us. Thanks so much, Coach Ty. We appreciate it. And keep on driving safe on your travels as you head back from the east. I appreciate it, Coulter. Always great to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your week and uh, look forward to catching up next week. Be hey, even on the next level, right? The next level of ball. Man, Iowa, Penn State. I mean, we got some we got some fun ball to watch this weekend, Coulter, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about next week. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. Big Sky Breakdown rolls on. Hope you like the new format. Going to give you all the interviews on either Thursday or Friday, either Thursday evening or Friday morning, but we'll have a Thursday afternoon more analysis-based podcast with just myself and Brooks Duanez, Andrew Houghton, Ty Gregorak. Joined now by Andrew Houghton, Skyline Sports, as well as ESPN Missoula. And uh, I feel like I've talked so much about our trip to Cheney and uh, the epic game we watched, 34-28 between Montana and Eastern Washington. The Eagles come out on top on the Inferno and that's been pretty commonplace since they started playing on the red. But you'd never been there before. I've covered probably two dozen games there. You'd never been there before. So what did you think of Cheney? I liked it. Well, the only the only part of Cheney that I saw was the football stadium. Right. For one thing. Right. Which probably contributes to that opinion. And the Safeway. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the Safeway parking lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a sweet atmosphere and environment for a football game. It's different. It's unique. I mean, everybody complains about the red turf. I, I kind of thought it was cool. Like I said, I mean, it's not that I would want to watch a game there every week. For a one-off where they had a pretty good crowd and the game was hyped up, I really enjoyed it. It's interesting because they had a decent crowd. I thought the crowd would be better. Um, only because I've seen games there where the crowd has been better. I, and I don't know if it's because it was late or what the deal was, but I did think it would be a little bit more than what they had. But uh, – from being around town the last couple of days, I talked to some people that were on the sidelines involved with the Grizz. 
And they said that the, the fans were definitely super into it, super uh, filled with vitriol. I yeah. mean, screaming at them, throwing stuff at them, spitting at them. So I'm not condoning that sort of activity, but, I mean, that is the passion that exists in college football. So Eastern fans, they were bringing it. Yeah, that's the that's the feeling that I got. I mean, they, they started off loud. They, they stayed loud even when Montana was um, – you know, threatening to take over the game, and, and sort of it looked like it was all Grizzlies for a while. Let's talk about the actual action on the field. What did you think of the way it played out? And this is one of those times where uh, I was wrong and you were right. You kind of thought that it was going to go down like it did, and uh, Eastern Washington, they make a few more plays at the end, and they outlast Montana. Yeah, I think going into the game, the thing the thing that I was always pushing when we were arguing is that Eastern Washington – was going to win some of those one-on-one matchups on the outside. Just it was going right. to happen more than it had ever happened to Montana this year. And then I didn't know if it was going to happen enough, but I thought that it was going to happen enough to make it a good game. Yes. And that's that's exactly what happened. I think that, you know, it was really shocking, though, the way that it happened because it looked like Montana at one point in the third quarter was about to just turn it on and, and – not run away with it, but win comfortably because they were up 21-10, got the interception, and you're, you're thinking... Right right after halftime, too, they had the great drive to score, and yeah. then Sean Rainey uh, texted me a video and then also put on Twitter uh, just a little insight from the sideline, which is great having Sean from SWX down there on the sideline, and he said, hey, you know, he sent me a little video of Jace Lewis and Patrick O'Connell getting the... Um, defense pumped up and we were thinking hey this could be the moment where the Grizz really I even I think I texted my brother I said this is the moment where they could go for the jugular or not we'll see and then they did it they weren't able to do it right and it's not like it was going to turn into like a a 45-17 final but it felt like Montana was just going to sort of strangle the game away if you're like like they do right if you're up 28-10 yeah you can just do so much more like when you're just clinging to that 21-10 means you're one touchdown away from being in panic mode, whereas 28-10, like just one more score would have just been so big for them just in terms of the gap. Absolutely, and that's why that drive after the interception was so big where they not only didn't get a touchdown with the short field, they didn't even get any points out of it because the, the field goal was blocked. Right. I also, we've watched the game back a couple times. I guess uh, I watched part of it back on the replay, and then the, we actually just caught it when it was being replayed, so we couldn't really like rewind it. We just kind of watched the last quarter. But Bobby Houck, who I've covered for the majority of his time at Montana, I've never heard him fully, candidly admit to an in-game coaching error, a specific one. I've heard him say, hey, the head coach needs to do better, the coaches need to do better. But when he fully acknowledged on that field goal block, he said, no, that was a screw-up on my part. I take accountability for that. That was surprising because he's never really done that. But mostly he's never really done that, not because he's hiding it, because he never really makes those mistakes. But we haven't actually, I never actually got to see what actually the systematic error was. But I thought that was fascinating that, you know, Montana has been so good on special teams, but a special teams error probably did have at least a little influence on the final result. I thought that was really interesting too that he said that in the press conference. I wonder how much of that is just him realizing. I mean, you always see coaches say, you know, like, this big mistake came down to me at the end, and part of it is just like they're trying to protect their players. Sure. I wonder how much he is trying to protect Kevin Macias a little bit and keep his confidence up because he's, you know, he's he's made a lot of kicks, but he's also on all the long field goals. He hasn't made a long field goal this year. He hasn't made a kick longer than 26 yards. And they're going to need that, especially with the way that their offense is uh, – 
progressing or regressing or, or whatever you exactly. want to say. It doesn't seem like a, a Bobby Houck thing to step in front of him and say that was my fault, but it's a it's a really common head coaching thing. Like Andy right. Reid does this all the time in the NFL. It's just weird to see Bobby do it if that's what he was doing a little bit. Totally. No question. I also thought that this game came down to a couple factors. There's always so much to analyze from football games, but I actually thought this one was more cut and dry than most only because – you saw both teams do what they do well, really well. Eastern played really well on offense. Their best player on offense, Eric Berry, played outstanding. Montana played really well on defense. They're one of their best players on defense, Jace Lewis, played outstanding. Marcus Wellnell played outstanding. Patrick O'Connell was sort of negated. Part of that is because he got hurt. He, he smashed his hand. He kept playing, but I think he was a little bit hindered by that. But strength versus strength, to be sure. But I think that this game came down to, to three factors. I thought Berrier was the best player on the field. That's the number one factor. He made a couple throws that, that you just really can't defend. I also thought that Montana played well enough defensively and on special teams. And as you heard from Ty Gregorak, former Montana coach earlier, he was texting me during the game. He said, hey, you watch this. They're down. They're going to get a stop. They're going to bust a special teams play, and then we'll see what happens. And they did that, but then they couldn't rally all the way back. Uh, but Montana played well enough defensively and on special teams. But then the reason that they were – not able to come out on top was two factors. One, I thought the quarterback play for Montana was subpar, and I thought that what I assumed was going to be a drastic advantage in coaching for Montana was not the case. I thought Eastern Washington, Aaron Best, and his staff went absolutely toe-to-toe with Bobby Houck, and in some ways uh, actually even won the coaching battle. What impressed me the most about Aaron Best and Eastern Washington's coaching staff in that game was not even the scheme stuff that they were doing. It's not like the getting their players fired up and stuff, although that was really impressive, especially on defense. It was just that they were able to trust what they were doing. Montana's defense had the upper hand in the first half of that game. They were getting home on Eric Barrier to the point where even the best quarterback in the country was, you know, he, he, he looked lost out there. He was trying to Russell Wilson spin away from these blitzes and just tripping and falling and it didn't look very good. But that Eastern Washington coaching staff kept trusting their offensive game plan. They kept dialing up deep shots, which is so tough to do when your quarterback's been sacked five or six times in the first half, right? It's so easy to just go away from that and say, we're just going to run screens. We're going to run slants the rest of the game. They didn't do that. And in the second half, it paid off, obviously. But it takes a a lot of guts to make that call. And that's what impressed me the most. It does make a lot of guts, take a lot of guts. I also think, though, sometimes the the strategic element of football convolutes and complicates things too much. At the end of the day, you should just try to get the best player the ball. Right. You do this, I do this. You do this, I do this. Well, if you blitz six or seven guys, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to trust my guy to take the hit and make the throw. And that's really what it came down to was – Barry got smashed a couple times and made perfect throws. And, uh, you know, at some point, you just got to tip your hat credit where credit's due. Right, but so many coaches wouldn't trust him to, to true, do that true. in the second half after what had happened in the first half. I will say that's uh, – I have been down on Eastern Washington because I just think that they, across the board, their talent's just not quite as good as it was. Part of that's just because I don't know if you're going to get talent as good as they had because they had such a great team in 2015-2016 last couple of years under Bo Baldwin. But the other thing is that they have they, – they had the reins on Barry, and they seem to have taken the reins off. They were almost trying to, like, mitigate him so that he wouldn't get hurt or be too risky last year. 
in preparation now for this year where they know this is it, let's let it all hang out. And that was another change that I saw that I think that makes them a true contender in the Big Sky and on the national stage because when they were corralling him, that he can't do what he does best. And when they let, it, let him let it rip, that's what he does better than anybody. It's the easiest thing in the world to do is trust your players, but it's so hard for so many coaching staff because it takes the agency, it takes the power away from the coaching staff. Totally. And so many, so many coaches, head coaches especially, even at this level, have gotten to where they are by just believing in themselves and having so much confidence in themselves and their schemes and what they do that it's difficult for a lot of them to do that and to cede power and agency to the players. Of course, when you have Eric Berrier, that's of course the best thing to do. I think there are a lot of coaches who wouldn't have done that, though. True. Absolutely. And that's getting a little philosophical here in a way that doesn't really analyze, you know, the game on Saturday. But I just think that's kind of impressive. The uh, it's a it's a really good point. I think that the other thing though is that although so many people that follow the Big Sky Conference and the FCS take such great pride in the differences between the FCS and the FBS, FCS fans are always touting the more wholesome nature of the sport, the great stories of guys that go from walk-ons to stars, the playoff, uh, the playoff scenario, the existence of a true playoff. Right. It allows them to sort of frame it as the greatest meritocracy of all right. because there is the playoff at the end of the year. Absolutely. But also football fans across the country, even if they are first and foremost Big Sky and or FCS fans, still get inundated by the narratives that exist at big-time college football. And I think that fan bases and followers and people listening to this podcast oftentimes think, oh, man, we just lost a nationally televised – I'm talking from the Grizz perspective. We just lost a nationally televised game to our one of our rivals. You know, what are we going to do now? I derailed, blah, blah, blah. You could go pick out every FCS champion since the Division One AA was created in 1978 with the exception of, like, when Carson Wentz was a senior and Easton Stick was a senior yeah, at North Dakota State. a couple of those State, North Dakota State teams. Though, you're not going undefeated. Honestly, Bobby Houck would probably tell you that like the team that went undefeated in 2009, they probably would have been served better to lose a game before than losing by two points to Villanova because you have no idea how to react in, in the moment when, it, when a game comes down to it. So what I'm saying is I talked with Brooks and Ty about this earlier on in this podcast, so I won't rehash my point, but just to serve it up to you, like 2004, I never forget when Montana lost to Sam Houston State. They got Sam Houston State back. This is the same situation. They went to Texas. They lost under the lights in Huntsville in a night game, and uh, it wasn't really nearly as close as what Saturday's game was. I think the final score was 41-24. That Grizz team didn't lose again. Uh, 2008, the Grizz go and lose a, a rainy one in Weber State. That was their only conference loss the last four years of Bobby Houck's tenure. Weber comes back to Missoula in the playoffs and Montana beats them to go to national championship games. So what I'm saying is oftentimes the a loss can be your launch point. No, and Bobby Houck understands this better than maybe anybody else in the country because of the examples that you've given and just because he's been around it for so long. I mean, Bobby Houck understands when the important games are. And it's just like this loss is demoralizing potentially. Yeah. It's not it's not good. 
but this game doesn't really matter when you come down to the end of the year. Well, particularly if you don't get beat twice, right? Like, and I, Montana exactly. has a, a, a easy game this week against Dixie State. I mean, Montana's six easy games in a row after this. Montana's exactly. going to win six in a row heading but into that Montana State game. At the from end of the a year. coaching perspective, one of the most challenging things is when you're rolling people, saying, "Guys, we still need to get better at this. We still need to get better at this. This is a weakness. This is a weakness. This loss puts their weaknesses on full display." And if you know anything about this team and these coaches, they're going to want to fix this. But it also gives them motivation it gives them like a, a talking point right we got to be better on first downs on offense we got to be better and contain on defense whatever it is it gives i them agree with you and now you have film that you can point to on every single one of those points because there is a lot of things that they did wrong and you can go back and say well if we had done this better we wouldn't have lost that game and you can remember how that felt and you don't want to be there again i completely agree with you i guess the counter argument would be that now you have to build up that momentum again and I don't think they're going to have a problem doing that because, like I said, I mean, their schedule is just tissue paper soft from here until the end of the season when they when they play Montana State. But, you know, I mean, the, that, that high of that three-game winning streak and the Washington win and, you know, climbing up the poles and everybody's feeling great again, that's not nothing, and it gets washed away now, and you have to sort of try to rebuild that before the end of the season. And that's the thing you have to battle the most is there's so many – fans of the program in Montana of Montana but the difference between the really engaged fan that's you know listening to all these big sky breakdowns and reading all the skyline sports articles and reading the Missoulian and reading the 406 MT sports and all this stuff and the people that just follow it pretty good but they don't know the ins and outs like I walked into one of my favorite watering holes last night after a late night here editing some stuff and a couple guys that I kind of are acquaintances, I wouldn't say they're my friends, I don't even know their names, but they know who I am. And they're like, first thing they said to me was, bro, how do we beat Washington and lose to Eastern Washington? Like, that's a thing, you know? Yeah. Just the common person doesn't understand, like, well, Eastern Washington's actually better than Washington. They would probably beat Washington, too. But uh, you're right. They just have to not get weighed down by by that the momentum that they had built up and uh, have that weigh them down moving forward. I want to ask you this, because you mentioned – the fact that they have a, a paper-thin schedule after this. And I will say that probably Sac State's going to have something to say about that. I think Sac State will be better than what people expect. But Montana still be a definitive favorite in that game, no Absolutely, question, especially yeah. at home. But my question for you is this. Narratives across college football and within leagues are always going to be that the league's never been better, the league's never been deeper, parity, parity, parity. That's coaches hedging their own bets. I think it's so funny when Bobby Huck's like, yeah, the league's good. It's always been good. That's it. Everybody else is like, oh, the league's never been better. These guys are trying way harder. Blah, blah, blah. They're all hedging their bets. Right, it's the easiest question to ask these guys at the Big Sky kickoff sure. every year because yeah. they're all going to just gush about it. 100%. And, but my premise here, though, is that this year, there used to be a couple bad teams and then a bunch of pretty good teams and then maybe one or two really good teams. I think that there's uh, – if we're considering Eastern Washington a really good team, which after beating Montana, I think they are a really good team. Absolutely. I think that there's – Three really good teams in Montana, Montana State, Eastern Washington. I think Davis could be that, and they also have a soft schedule moving forward after already winning at Weber. Weber could be like the top of that second tier or the bottom of the first tier, but they're a top 20. They're a fringe playoff team, and if they take care of business, they knock off Montana State next week, that could kind of get them back on track. But then Portland State is kind of the only okay team, and mostly because they have a really good quarterback. And to me, pretty much everybody else in the league is just not very good. I guess Sac State could be an okay team too, but these other schools, it's kind of like, I don't see Cal Poly or Northern Colorado or Idaho State or NAU beating anybody except for the other teams that I just named. 
Right, and Southern Utah is down Southern there, Utah, too. Southern Utah, yeah. I'm not in on Idaho at all. No, I think you're 100% right. I think that this is sort of a th- this take that the middle of the conference is going to be good this year sort of grew out of just what we've seen in the conference in the last couple years. Sure. Because every year in the last couple years, I mean, since I've been back covering it, there's been that team that has <coughs> grown out of that middle part of the conference and become a real conference contender, playoff team with – you know, Sac State in Troy Taylor's first year with Kevin Thompson. The year before that, it was UC Davis under Dan Hawkins that went to the playoffs. We just got accustomed to seeing it, and it sort of became the conventional wisdom that there was going to be a team in the big sky that was going to rise up that nobody knew about before the season. And this year, everybody was like, okay, there's four good, really good teams in the conference with the Montana schools, Eastern Washington, Weber State were the four before the season, and we were all looking at that middle group of teams like, oh, one of these teams is definitely going to be a contender. And it, it, it's just not going to happen. It's not. Those teams are bad. I am not in on Sacramento State. I don't think they're very good. Portland State is okay. Everybody else in the conference is bad. The way that the conference race is almost always determined because of the stupid, uneven schedule is that team that comes up and bites you when you go to their place because you had a hard travel or you're coming off a weird game. Cal Poly not running the triple option actually has a profound effect on the league from a week-to-week spectrum. Yeah. Because oftentimes, like, let's say you played Eastern Washington the week before and then you have to go to San Luis Obispo. Now it doesn't really matter the quality of Cal Poly, that transition from going from Eastern spread to Cal Poly's triple option. It's going to be a headache and maybe they can spring one on you, but that's just not the case anymore. And I've been really thinking about the why. Why is this? I think that there's a lot to this, but I think more than anything, I think a lot of these schools in areas where uh, COVID was rampant or the local rules or local government was uh, very strict in the way that they were uh, allowing groups to gather or lack thereof. Like Portland State, for example, they were not allowed to go to their campus for 11 months, period. That's lost training time. That's lost. More than anything, though, I think these guys lost time together. So much of being the, that middle-of-the-road team that could rise up and beat a Montana or a Montana State is believing that you can. I know this is a, completely speculatory, but I just don't really know if there's like that chemistry or that desire at some of these other programs like there has been in the past because I just don't think that they know each other. Not, they haven't been around each other a lot. I just think there's so many factors that go into this, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the haves and the have-nots have been stratified coming out of this pandemic. No, absolutely. It was always going to... Sort of emphasize the extremes, I think, is the term that I would use. Because, you know, it requires such an effort from your coaching staff, primarily, to keep everybody together, and not only together, but just focused and working hard during something like that. Which is why I think that the staffs at Montana and Montana State have done such a good job, because they didn't play in the spring. I mean, they didn't have anything to look forward to in the spring, essentially. I know Montana played two games. Right. The, the players have all talked about just how much of a grind it was to stay focused, stay in the weight room, stay going hard, keep the team together during that period. So the coaching staffs that were able to do that got such an advantage because the coaching staffs that weren't able to do that fell back. You're going forward, other teams are falling back. Of course, it, it sort of emphasized the extremes of the league. I don't know that you're I, – I like your COVID theory. doesn't explain why Idaho State and Idaho are so bad. Because there were no local restrictions there. That's right. 
um, and down in like southern Utah. We'll, we'll stop with Idaho State. Idaho State gets drilled in Flagstaff, and it's uh, it's SOS for the Bengals right now. I mean, they were supposed to be they were supposed to be one of the OK teams. I guess that's the thing is. We knew that Cal Poly was going to have a fully uphill sledding, yeah. revamping everything that they're doing under a new coaching staff. We knew Northern Colorado, same thing. I mean, Northern Colorado, I couldn't even find a guy that was on the roster in 2019 that's on the roster now. Like, the whole thing is new yeah. under Ed McCaffrey. Northern we, Colorado, Southern Utah, Cal Poly, those teams We are knew not, they were going to be bad. Yeah. Those are the expectations. The teams that have really disappointed this year, that, that middle group. Idaho, like, Idaho State, Northern Arizona, Sac State, those teams are the exactly. ones that are supposed to be the ones that can – Ruin your six and one start in Big Sky Caverns play. Right, maybe make a run at it. Right, yeah. Idaho State things are not not super great there right now. I think that the Northern Arizona game sort of was the one where you're looking at it and you're like, this is the game that they have to win. I mean, their their early schedule was really tough, and you can take positives out of that. And this is one of Rob Fennessy's biggest things. When I was on the beat there, I mean, he 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 tries to take positives. Out of, out of games, and some people call that making excuses, you know, whatever. They played well against a really good North Dakota team in the opener. They lost by a fair amount, but they, they played well, I thought. Sure. You go to Nevada, okay, you lose by a lot. Northern Arizona, I mean, I don't care, like, what the circumstances are. You don't have your quarterback. You don't have your top two running backs. Like, I don't know. You should find a way to win that game or at least not lose it 49 to 7 or whatever it was. And I I get it. Like Idaho State was playing a former walk-on quarterback from Wyoming. They were playing a linebacker and a true freshman at running back. Like they're they're mitigating circumstances there, but that's just so bad. It is. It is. And now now there's issues there because Tanner Connor, the great wide receiver down at Idaho State came out and said, you know, we're, we're all frustrated with the offense, or that he was frustrated with the offense at least, which is hard to argue against when you score seven points. I mean, you score on your first drive against Northern Arizona, you don't score after that. Yeah. Tanner Connor is a guy who I have argued for strenuously, is like legitimately one of the best three receivers in the league. He's really good. As an actual NFL prospect, I think he's got at most like 65 yards in a game this year. Right. So unsurprising that he's frustrated. Rob Fennessy came back in his press conference a, a couple days after, says, well, no, the system is not the issue. We know we have a good system. We know it works. The execution needs to be better. So now there's some push and pull there. I think this season, I mean, they just might be the worst team in the league, which is not something that I saw coming. And maybe a lot of the hype around them before the season was just me who had been down there and thought that they had some talent on that team. And I was sort of pushing them. And I was drinking the Rob Fennessy Kool-Aid a little bit, and I just – but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd seen them play in the spring. They played well in the spring. For sure. I just wonder also, all of the pandemic factors and all of the stuff we're talking about, all that aside, what if this is just a restratification that is a return to the mean, a return to normalcy? Because when the Big Sky first expanded in 2012, we saw every team get a seat at the table for a brief moment in time. Idaho State almost made the playoffs in 2014. North Dakota, Southern Utah, Cal Poly, they all shared league titles. Portland State, everybody in the league has shared a conference title since the expansion of the league except for Montana, Idaho State. I believe that's it because everybody's had at least one share of the league title since 2012 because even UC Davis had a share. Cal Poly's had a share. Sacramento State had a share. Weber not State, Idaho yet. But Idaho, not Idaho yet, but they, they, they returned uh, several years later. But yeah. in, in this last nine years, everybody's asked to see the table. P- 
pretty much everybody's made the playoffs, with the exception of Idaho State. And it's the it's the old Demario Warren argument, right? 2015 Southern Utah, they had I think six guys got shots in the NFL, including three guys that still play in the NFL. That team went nine and two and won the Big Sky Conference championship, and they got sent on the road in the first round of the playoffs and got beat by Sam Houston because they're Southern Utah. They had no name brand recognition. We saw unfavorable draws for several other Big Sky schools that were sort of the ones that had the seat at the table. And then also the Big Sky did themselves no favors by NAU and Cal Poly both losing to a non-scholarship San Diego program in the first round. That also hurt the league. But I don't think it's a coincidence that when Montana, Montana State, and Weaver State are the ones that are gunning for seeds and Eastern Washington, that the whole rest of the league is going to re-stratify itself. And, and maybe that's just the what. For teams to be great, other teams have to be bad. I think the worst thing for the league is when the eighth best team can knock off the number one or number two team. That's the worst thing in the in the world for the league on a national perspective. Right. When it comes to playoff seeding and you know being there at the end of the year, absolutely that's terrible. I always thought that was one of the greatest things about the league. And I will miss that if it's gone. Just the fact that, you know, you can go eight or ten deep and all these teams have NFL talents, at least a couple, and they can beat anybody on having it any given Sunday. I love the Sacramento State narrative from a couple years ago. Love the UC Davis narrative coming out of nowhere a couple years ago. I think I'd be sad if that was ending. How much of that is just Montana but, coming back and being being good now and being dominant now, which they weren't for a solid decade? Well, I think that's definitely part of it. Davis has a seat at the table, though, because Davis has great football tradition. Davis has a great college town. Davis has a good coach. Davis is investing in football. I mean, their new facilities are tremendous. Yep. I think it's going to be hilarious when Davis has been in the big sky for like 15 years and then they're the ones that go to the Mountain West because they got the alumni base. They got the enrollment. They got the endowment. I, I just think that it's going to be really hard to sell your alumni at UC Davis, FCS football. It's not hard to sell them FBS football. I just wonder when they make a move. But that's a completely different tangent. But I do think Davis deserves to be have a seat at the table because – I mean, what's the most gentle way to say this? Davis is is playing legitimate Division One football. Yeah, they're they're investing in it at the level that you need to invest it in. That's the biggest issue for Northern Colorado and Southern Utah. Like, this is not Division One. It's not. They have Division One players, but and sort of coaches and stuff. But like, they don't have Division One experience. There, there's no atmosphere like there was in Cheney and Greeley ever 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 there's no game that could happen in Greeley Colorado that's going to be like that and so that's the biggest difference I do think Davis deserves a seat at the table though no and all of these these lower down programs I mean the one way that they can talk themselves into being relevant is getting the right head coach in there right mm-hmm. and that turns the program around for a couple of years and it's just so so difficult to do that. I mean, Bruce Barnum at Portland State had the one good year. I think Barnum, he's a great coach, but it's just, yeah, I mean, you can't consistently be up there at Portland State when you're playing in a high school stadium. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. And, like, that's what Northern Colorado is trying to do now with hiring Ed McCaffrey and getting the buzz around it. And we'll see if he is that guy. Uh, I don't, You know, you don't want to judge that program through four games or whatever. Early returns are that he's, he's not that guy. Yeah, I mean – what I saw in Northern Colorado on Saturday in Bozeman was a team that was utterly uh, unprepared. Uh, they were um, sluggish. They were 
not lining up correctly. I mean, the Montana State shot themselves in the foot multiple times, and they still won easily going away 40-7. to And no doubt that Northern Colorado has more talent on that roster they right do, now than sure. they had, they've had in the last couple of years. A lot more talent. They have a lot of really good players, actually. I thought they a lot of guys flashed. They just have no – they have no uh, – Symbiosis. They have no continuity. They just looked sort of out of sorts. No, agreed completely. And that's what, I mean, coaching is a really hard job. Absolutely it is. Anything else on the league? I think that's the other part that's sort of interesting is that uh, we usually would spend 45 minutes to an hour going around the league and all these fascinating matchups. And each week now there's only like one or two because a lot of the games are lopsided, particularly where we're sitting right now in Montana. Montana at Dixie, or Dixie State at Montana. Yawn. Cal Poly at Montana State. I'm yawning again. Uh, we look around the rest of the league. I mean, like Idaho, Sac State is like the the game of the week in the big sky. You yeah, know? that's like, not good. That's what I'm saying. Like Weber has a bye. Eastern's playing at Northern Colorado. Like there's just I'm just so interested to see the the dichotomy between the confidence that can be garnered by just boat racing teams, but also the lack of preparation it gives you for when you play these premier matchups. Absolutely true. That's something I'll be watching a lot for Montana as we come to the end of the season. I mean, Montana's schedule from here is just, I don't know if you got it pulled up, but it's just they don't have a difficult game until the end of the season. So we'll see how that plays out for them. Not having to play Weber, not having to play Davis. Definitely helps the Grizz football team. So we'll keep you all up to date. Thanks for listening to the Big Sky Breakdown. Hope you like the new format. We'll have an interviews podcast for you. Uh, one more before Saturday's action. And in the meantime, you can always find all this stuff, SkylineSportsMT.com for Andrew Houghton. I'm Coulter Nuanez. Thanks to Blackfoot Communications and Alpine Touch for proudly presenting the Big Sky Breakdown.